Hammer may have broken through several barriers with the curse of Frankenstein in 1957, but it was their 1958 Dracula which truly ignited it all. I'm Stephen Archibald, and welcome to my film podcast. This is the story of Dracula, a creature who destroys all whom he touches. Dracula the terrifying, the feared, who sleeps in the tombs of the dead by day and arises at night to inflict his terror upon the innocent and the unsuspecting. You must help me. You must. You're my only hope. You must. I'll help you. I promise. This is not Lucy, the sister you loved. It's only a shell, possessed and corrupted by the evil of Dracula. How do you destroy a fiend who has so far proven himself indestructible? Hello. Welcome to my podcast, They Came From Within. Cult movie reviews. Tall, dark and gruesome. Dracula, 1958. We may take it for granted now, but Hammer's The Curse of Frankenstein and its next title, Dracula completely changed the landscape of the horror movie genre in the late 1950s. For one thing, by changing how violence could be presented to a mainstream audience and thereby attracting fierce critics as well as countless admirers. The four essential individuals from the groundbreaking Frankenstein flick, the director Terence Fisher, the writer Jimmy Sangster, and the actors Peter Cushion and Christopher Lee were reunited for this outstanding production. Once again, Hammer sidestepped any copyright problems with Universal by setting their version of Dracula in the same time period as Bram Stoker's classic novel, which was first published in 1897. Universal revived their fortunes in the early 1930s by releasing a Dracula movie and then a Frankenstein picture Ironically, Hammer did the same in the late 1950s, but reversed the order of release. In 1885, the bloodthirsty Count Dracula, portrayed by an impeccable Christopher Lee, leaves his sinister castle in order to wreak havoc in the Germanic region of Karlstad, with the ultimate aim of possessing Lucy Holmwood who's played by the lovely Carol Marsh. This imposing vampire meets his match in the shape of the swashbuckling Professor Van Helsing, portrayed by the one and only Peter Cushing. And let's face it, Cushing's so great in this role, many still consider him to be the definitive Van Helsing on screen. The same applies to Christopher Lee, of course. Ask the average horror fan to think of Dracula and Lee's face is likely to appear in their mind's eye. The same goes for Cushing with Abraham Van Helsing. However, Lee's is the most remarkable appearance. When you consider, he only utters a total of 16 lines in the entire movie, and all within the first 10 minutes, making Jonathan Harker, played by John Van Eysen, the only character 
the Count converses with. Further still, Lee is only on screen for around seven and a half minutes. So that's quite some impact. And proving that improvisation can be a great thing. It was Peter Cushing's idea to use candlesticks as a makeshift crucifix. He also came up with the idea of racing across the table and tearing down the curtains. During Dracula's only conversation with Jonathan Harker, Christopher Lee smiles briefly. It is the only time he ever does so, playing the Transylvanian Count. Whether it was down to budgetary restrictions or not, the supernatural aspects were kept to a minimum. This Dracula does not start out as old and grow increasingly younger as the movie progresses, nor does he transfer into a bat or any other creature or element. And yet, the movie remains creepy, stylish and atmospheric. Those who come to end his reign of terror stay to become his victims. Castle Dracula is summoned here in Klausenburg. Will you tell me how I get there? You ordered a meal, sir. As an innkeeper, it's my duty to serve you. When you've eaten, I ask you to go and leave us in peace. This is the doctor who dares to challenge the vampire Dracula. This is the anguished man who fears for the lives of his beloved, the girl who is his sister, and the one that is his wife. Dracula, the bedeviled master of all that is evil. Besides, Fisher was more interested in using vampirism as a means to push the sexual boundaries in cinema. Lee's attractive, seductive vampire poses a threat to the men of a prim, repressive society by liberating their sexually frustrated women. Just check out the vampirized reaction of Melissa Stribling's character in this movie and of Barbara Shelley's character in the 1965 follow-up, Dracula Prince of Darkness. Terence Fisher summed it up perfectly himself. In the Virgin film book entitled Horror Films, he's quoted as saying, Dracula preyed upon the sexual frustrations of his women victims. The film is known in America as Horror of Dracula. This is down to the fact that even as late as the 1950s, the Bela Lugosi version was still cropping up in cinemas, so the title was altered to avoid any confusion between the two movies. After his sterling work on The Curse of Frankenstein, James Bernard returned to compose the rousing score for Dracula, and likewise Bernard Robinson resurfaced to provide the terrific production design. I should also mention the return of Jack Asher as the picture cinematographer. He made the movie look ravishing with his use of the Technicolor process. Dracula was shot between the 11th of November 1957 and the 3rd of January 1958. Once again, filming took place at Bray Studios in Berkshire, 
The surrounding estate was also utilised. And to think, we almost lost out on having a Hammer Dracula movie. Towards the end of 1956, it became known that Associated Rediffusion Limited wanted to make a seven-part TV series on Stoker's celebrated book. However, complex legal and copyright entanglements prevented them from doing so. It took a lot of negotiating by Hammer's lawyer, Edwin Davies, to finally secure the film rights. As with the previous film, The Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula appears to have been a worthwhile experience for all concerned. The only sticking point during production was Christopher Lee having to wear those red contact lenses in certain scenes. He pointed this out in his autobiography, Tall, Dark and Gruesome, to quote, They irritated my eyes so that I wept copiously, which was utterly out of character for the heartless count. Furthermore, they hindered me from seeing where I was going, so that I was constantly crashing into people and falling over things. Most of the critics at the time detested the movie. The Observer critic found it singularly repulsive. While the Daily Express critic complained, it was one of the most revolting pictures he had seen in years. They clearly weren't prepared for a new, innovative way of making horror films. Michael Goff appears in Dracula as Lucy Holmwood's brother Arthur, and Valerie Gaunt portrays the seductive vampire seen towards the start of the picture. Dracula received its world premiere at the Warner Theatre in Milwaukee on the 8th of May 1958. Its UK premiere was at the Gaumont Cinema in London 14 days later and it went on general release in the UK on the 16th of June 1958. The movie was produced by Hammers Anthony Hines. Universal International and Rank served as its distributors. This is the movie where the legend of Hammer well and truly begins. I'm Stephen Archibald and thank you for listening to my podcast, They Came From Within, Cult Movie Reviews. If you are a Facebook listener and you have liked what you've heard, please check out more of my episodes on the podcast host of your choice. Please feel free to follow or subscribe, or you can leave constructive comments at my email address, archibaldstephen29 at gmail.com. Thanks very much for listening and take good care of yourself. (laughs) 